Welcome to the Roadrunner Exchange, a show that features leaders from Metropolitan State University of Denver discussing the projects, initiatives, and decisions impacting our campus community. I'm your host, Dr. Samuel J., Director of Faculty Affairs and Associate Professor of Communication Studies. Today I talk with Christine Marquez-Hudson, VP of University Advancement and Executive Director of the MSU Denver Foundation, about her career in nonprofits, operations and initiatives happening in advancement, and the launch of the MSU Denver fundraising campaign. Hope you'll enjoy. Introduce yourself for briefly. Sure. I'm Christine Marcus Hudson, okay. and I'm the uh, Vice President of Advancement and also the Executive Director of the MSU Denver Foundation. All right, we'll get into that, but I want to revisit what we were just talking sure. about. So when you go and you, in this case, talking to somebody who potentially could be a member of the foundation board, but also we could talk about donors, what, why just two? Like, tell, tell me about not overwhelming somebody. You know, there's a whole... Well, first of all, I approach fundraising from a very authentic perspective. Okay. I want people, I view myself as a facilitator of impact. What's that mean? And that means that um, I'm interested in connecting people who want to make a difference in their communities or uh, uh, on a cause that they care about with opportunities to achieve that impact. Okay. And donors... Um, have interests and they have resources but they can't make the change happen that they want they need other organizations they need to work through other organizations in order to achieve that impact and so when you can find someone who's looking for that kind of opportunity and you can match them with an opportunity here at MSU Denver that is going to help them fulfill that desire and, and the opportunity we're presenting with them is something MSU Denver also okay. wants to do, then it's a beautiful thing. It's not arm twisting. It's not, you know, putting your hand out. It's, um, it's bringing two, two things together that make magic. Let's say you talk to 10 folks. How many of those 10 are interested in higher ed specifically? Um... I think higher education is an aspect of what they want to achieve, but it is usually not necessarily the end purpose. Okay. And let me explain what I mean by that. Um, let's say, um, let's say that I really care about art. Well, let, let me choose it. Let me choose a different one. Let's say that um, uh, I really care about the hospitality industry, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I own several businesses in the hospitality industry. Maybe it's a combination of hotels and restaurants, and I understand how challenging it is for me to hire um, excellent people in that field. Mm -hmm. In addition, I'm interested in the next generation of people who are going to own these places. And I want to make sure that I'm cultivating uh, people who are able to uh, build their wealth and build their build you know new businesses that are going to create jobs mm -hmm. for other folks, mm -hmm. which add to our economy and add to the thriving nature of Colorado and, mm -hmm. and, and um, Denver. 
And so I want to, um, I want to engage with an organization that is going to help me do that. The beauty of MSU Denver is that they get, you know, triple and quadruple whammies out of their engagement. Yeah. They get to invest in an organization that is probably going to help create that talent pipeline mm -hmm. that it, that is, you know, perhaps part of self-interest because mm -hmm. they want to access that talent pipeline for their own right. businesses. But they're also able to nurture new talent to become the next generation of business owners who are also going to create job opportunities for the community. And that mentoring experience is really fulfilling and wonderful because they get to impart their experience yeah. to the next generation of leaders. Um, and then in so doing, they're also helping the individuals involved create um, wealth for themselves through employment, mm -hmm. um, education, mm -hmm. attainment. And that not only changes the person's life, the student's life, it changes the lives of their family members and their children and the next generation. So, and they're benefiting their larger community of Metro Denver by investing here at MSU. How do you find that right balance of donors who donate money, donors who donate time? How do you build a portfolio that has the right balance of those folks who give different kinds of things, who add value in a different thing? Like, how have you learned to do that? You know, it. I, I, I said earlier that I view myself as a facilitator of mm -hmm. impact. And it really starts with an attitude of curiosity, okay. genuine curiosity. Yeah. I want to know who you are, Sam. <laughs> I want to know what you're interested in. Yeah. Everyone has something that they're interested in. Yeah. And then because I'm a natural helper, I want to help you connect to whatever's going to help you facilitate um, growth in in what you're interested in uh -huh. and and you know I think that philanthropy the beauty of philanthropy is that um, it gives the donor if, if done right it gives the donor as much if not more pleasure to to achieve impact uh -huh. than it does the organization yeah. you know I mean because yeah. there's so much joy in helping you become a better professor or yeah. helping you, um, you know, do something more effectively because now you have the resources, yeah. uh, the equipment, the operating uh, uh, means to do that more effectively. And if my area of passion is, you know, creating podcasts mm -hmm. that will change the world, then I want to help you do that better, right? Yes. So. It starts with curiosity, and, and, and so what I try to do is um, help our foundation board be curious as okay. they engage with their social contacts, help our, our, our staff and our senior leaders and all of the people at MSU Denver, regardless of you, you know students, staff, faculty, et cetera, to be curious about the people with whom they're coming into contact and notice when they encounter someone who's looking for ways to make a difference. So when you say that and you talk about uh, educating our campus community on this, are you trying to create other facilitators? Are you trying to get other? Are you trying to get folks to take that perspective? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, gosh, we yeah. wouldn't do anything if it was just up to one person. Right. We need a whole army of yeah. people out there who are curious about others and 
looking for those folks who want to make a difference and where we can connect them into something here at MSU Denver where they can make a difference. And that's done in big and small ways. I mean, we just finished MSU Denver Day of Giving. Mm -hmm. Great example of students, staff, and faculty creating projects where donors at the $5 to yeah. you know $10,000 levels can give and achieve tremendous impact. Yeah. And uh, so, so that's a level of giving that is important and um, and very, you know, impactful here at MSU Denver. And then um, I have another team of fundraisers who are focused on what we call major gifts. Okay. And major gifts are twenty five thousand dollars and above. Mm -hmm. And uh, we give them a little bit more uh, personalized attention yeah. to cultivate a long and deep relationship that um, achieves sort of some of those bigger initiatives that we're trying to fund. When, uh, obviously your team, they're gonna have the expertise to do this, right? But when you sit down and you talk to John Massarini or Ann Murphy, and you're helping them become facilitators, are you really just teaching them to capitalize in the best way possible on relationship building? I mean, because I, I love this, right? It's a different understanding of donate, donating than most people understand. You're really, you are facilitating goodness for people. I mean, is that what you're talking to John and Ann about? I mean, is it kind of like that? Or a Definitely. chair? Okay. Yeah, and it, it doesn't have to just be a dean. Right. Let me emphasize yeah. that. I mean, yeah. we every member of this university is an ambassador to yeah. a potential donor. Yeah. Um, in fact, they're the best ambassadors because I'm a facilitator of the connection. Yeah. But the people who really sell what we do are the students, staff, and faculty yeah. who work here, right? Um, can you teach people so, to do that, though? Let me stop you. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Can't, but, but can't. I mean, yeah, some, but, can but it's natural. It's natural okay. human curiosity. Okay. Okay. So I'll give you an example. Just yesterday, I partnered up with Dean Liz Hind with the School of Education. And um, Chairman Mark Yost, who's mm -hmm. or director, director of yep. the Advanced Manufacturing Sciences Institute. And we brought a prospective donor to campus. And, um, you know, we prepared uh, each of them in advance so that they knew a lot about the prospective donor. And we also told them, here's what we'd like to explore in this conversation. Here's okay. what we'd like you to share. And here's what we'd like you like to explore and we even sort of um, organized the conversation so that they knew what the general flow would be mm -hmm. so there's a lot of you know work prep. that goes into prep yeah. prepping these experiences so that you get uh, to the point you want to get to um, and oftentimes as well you must have the it's okay this is un, uncut on un, you're fine there we go right there there it is there's the magic thank you, so thank you. So you do have, okay, so you're talking about preparing. And so there's a lot of preparation work that goes into a successful visit. You have to be very intentional about it. Okay. At the same time, the way that we execute those conversations is very natural. Okay. We let the conversations go where they need to go. We make sure that everyone is prepared to do more listening than talking. Okay. Um, and we encourage people to be curious about um, the person that we're meeting with. 
I or a member of my team are usually at these to help facilitate, to make sure mm -hmm. that the conversations are going where we ultimately want them to go. Yeah. And I'm sure that um, Liz Hind and Mark Yost could tell you just from yesterday's experience how I did that. But the bottom line is that we want them to, um, first of all, be curious about the person with whom we're meeting. That's always a great way to show up. Yeah. And then secondly, share um, information about the program that we know that the donor might be interested in. Mm -hmm. And so, and they do that wonderfully. I mean, that's what they do all day, every day. Right. Um, and Dean Hind is wonderful about sharing about the School of Education and the Office of Education Solutions. Mark Yost did a wonderful job of taking our prospective donor around the building and mm -hmm. talking about the advanced manufacturing program and what all the different machines did. And then, um, and, and, and so typically we're not asking our campus partners to sit there and make an ask. That's very unusual. We would only ask that to happen if Dean Hind is the biggest influencer mm -hmm. of this donor. Um, but typically what we're asking is for them to just share their joy and their expertise okay. on the topic. And then um, we figure out at the end of that meeting, what's the next step? You know, are they ready to start talking about a proposal or do they need something else to happen? Okay. Um, and sometimes those next steps will continue to involve our campus partners. Okay. And sometimes they won't. So, um, so that's kind of how it works. How did you get here? We we should go back to the very beginning. What's 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 CMH's story? Oh, that's that's Do we have enough time? meandering path. <laughs> that you you're know, just so good at this. You know, you're just so you're, it's so natural, and it doesn't come. It's not invasive. It's it's not. Uh, again, I mean, I think if unless you're in it, unless you're in advancement, unless you're in what you do, uh, I, oftentimes that perception is skewed. You know, it's it's. A little bit more aggressive but it can't be right it can't it be. shouldn't be it shouldn't I mean be. I think when it comes across as a hard sell you're not doing it very okay. well okay. you know yeah it should really be inviting and yeah. fulfilling and beautiful and you know all of those kinds of things that doesn't mean that we always execute it perfectly we make we make um, we make poor moves you yeah. know but it's it's uh, I, I really think the trick to doing this work well is the art of intuition and listening and curiosity. That makes sense. Right? You know, if, you, if you're doing those things well and you're doing a good job a of the follow-up and the follow-through, um, and ultimately you got to ask. You yeah. can't linger too long in this development process. you got to ask for the resources. Um, then you can propel the, the process forward. The, the sophisticated donors are expecting you to ask anyway. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like that's a surprise. I think that the trick is figuring out what's the right purpose, the right amount, and the right you know way that they're going to give their gift. And, the, and then the trick becomes engaging them in the fulfillment of that impact, right? So as the gift is achieving what it's supposed to achieve, how are we bringing those donors back in to experience some of the awesomeness of the impact of their gift? Um, and that's stewardship. Okay. So back to how did I get into this? Um, 
like I said, it's a meandering path that could not have been charted if I had even tried. <laughs> um, I started off, you know, I grew up in Western Colorado. Okay. I went off to college at UCLA because I wanted to be an actress. Are you serious? Yeah, which is hilarious. But I'll tell you what, those theater skills have come in very handy. Oh <laughs> what was the what was the what was the moment? That made you think you wanted to be an actress? What was the movie, the um, film, or the, the play? Okay. Seven years old, my yeah. mom got me into Mesa College's um, summer theater program. Okay, okay. And I was in a show called the, the King and I. Yep, yep. And I was one of the children. And I just thought it was the coolest thing in the whole wide world. I got to sing, and I got to dance, and I got to be on stage and wear costumes. And I just thought it was magical. Yeah. And I was sold. Um, I, I was always, uh, um, singing was my big talent. Okay. And so I was always, you know, the, the, the lead singer and everything. Yes. And um, grew up singing church choir and all that okay. fun stuff. Anyway, so I went through junior high and high school, and I was a big fish in a very small pond, okay. so it was not difficult to be the star of every show okay. um, or most shows. And I thought, you know, I really love doing this. I think I'd really love to do this as a career, the only way I'm going to really know if I'm good enough is if I put myself in a place like Los Angeles. And, I mean, is there a, yeah, right? so I went a bigger it, pond? Right? So I went for it. Okay. And I went out to, to Los Angeles and uh, found out very quickly that I did not have the necessary talent, nor did I have the necessary look. And I really didn't like the industry. So, but then... You know, a year into being in L.A., I had established residency, and it was very um, affordable to continue my my um, degree at UCLA. So okay. I was like, "Well, I'll stick with UCLA," and I switched to political. I switched to political science, thinking that I wanted to switch to broadcast journalism. So ah. think about that. Yeah, you know, yeah. you're interviewing people, you're yeah. expressing curiosity, you're you know yeah. learning about things. All of that has come into play in yeah. this job. Um, and and my senior year, I um, I ended up going to Costa Rica uh -huh. to perfect my Spanish because I thought I wanted to be a foreign correspondent. Okay, okay. Um, and then I ended up meeting someone and getting married in Costa Rica and living in Costa Rica for four more years. Oh, my God. Yep. So This is awesome. So then the broadcast journalism career did you ever try it down there? Were you ever? I did. I, I worked for a, um, an English language, um, very small production newspaper called Mesoamerica. Okay. There was another English language newspaper there called the Tico Times uh -huh. um, that I, th I tried to write for, but they only wanted volunteer writers and I needed to yeah. make an, an yeah. income. So I ended up getting a job as a teacher, and you know that was full time. I had no time for writing after that, but I ended up getting into teaching and taught for four years, different grade levels: seventh and eighth grade one year, kindergarten one year, first grade and fifth grade. Every year a different grade. It was crazy. Not a trained teacher, by the way. Okay, okay. Nor am uh, I. But, but those acting skills, <laughs> yeah, those yeah. acting skills, gotta figure came it out. in really handy <laughs> yeah, yeah. because I knew how to how to how to you know orchestrate yeah. a, a room. So when I came back to the United States, I decided that I wanted to dedicate my career to um, serving the Latino community okay. and to um, to education. 
Okay. So educa- So my very first job here in the States was at Mikasa Resource uh-huh. Center. Uh-huh. Um, I was the GED life skills instructor for a program that served teen mothers. Ah. And uh, that kind of launched my career in the nonprofit sector. Okay. And then I just got lucky. I qualify, or I got chosen for a program to get my master's in nonprofit management ah. um, with funding from the Colorado Trust. It okay. was called the Colorado Trust Fellowship. And it was a full ride scholarship to get my master's degree in nonprofit management. And then that cemented my trajectory at Regis. Oh, okay, okay. And so then I I continued to work for Mikasa for a few years, uh, ended up becoming a consultant to nonprofits, government organizations, and foundations. Okay. Worked for a little while in a foundation and then circled back to Mikasa as the executive director, Ah. which was wild. Um, and then from there, I became the president of the Denver Foundation, which is our uh, largest community foundation in the Rocky Mountain West. And from there, came to MSU Denver. So Janine poached you? How'd that work? Actually, no. I, um, I, I was at the Denver Foundation for two and a half years, and it was a wonderful experience. I learned a lot. Okay. I grew a lot, um, but I realized that it was not what I wanted to do. Uh-huh. I wanted to work closer to community okay. and uh, for a mission that I could really sink my teeth into. Okay. And I don't need to get into what a community foundation is, yeah. but it's um, we're, we're serving a lot of different donors that have their donor advised funds there. Uh, okay. And our community grants program was small, okay. uh, relatively speaking. So I left the Denver Foundation and um, Honestly, the very next day after my departure was announced, I got a call from a member of the MSU Denver Foundation board uh-huh. and got recruited by her yeah. into this role. And uh, I think I think if you asked Janine Davidson and myself, I was interviewing MSU Denver as much as she as they were interviewing me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I really wanted to make sure this was a great fit. And really, um, the reason I... Uh, I love it here is because it's it's everything I've been ever passionate about education economic opportunity and service to my community uh-huh. and particularly communities of color um, and for Colorado yeah. you know it's like everything I've ever done sort of culminates here yeah. and in my role I get to play both a leadership role and a um, fundraising yeah. slash nonprofit role and so sort of all of the career experiences that I've had roll into this job. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I'm, I've, I think I've made a difference uh, so far, and I certainly aim to make even greater difference at MSU. So I like, I mean, that, that's a really excellent way of explaining your love of the position. It sounds like maybe at the Denver Foundation, you, there, you, you weren't allowed to be as, as hands-on, right? I mean, but n- now you get, you're a leader and you have to be out there and kind of keep a pulse on what's going on. Yeah, I mean, I think um, what's been interesting as I think about the division of my hours in the day, I yeah. spend about half of my time doing management, leadership, strategy yeah. activities, and I spend half of my time raising money. Yeah. And honestly, that is about the same as it was when I was the CEO of Mikasa okay. and at the foundation. Okay. So it's been a familiar um, role yeah. to play and one that I feel like I've 
um, through those other roles learned a lot from and I'm able to apply that here in uh-huh. ways that I think have really made a difference. For example, leadership of others, you yeah. know, building a team, really creating a positive organizational culture, strategy, yeah. goals, metrics, you know, managing a foundation and the assets within that foundation. Those are, you know, skills that I've learned along the way that I've been able to apply here. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, I would argue that the Division of Advancement and the MSU Denver Foundation needed that. So it's been a really good fit. How does what your shop does here differ from a place, not like just CU Boulder, like somewhere that has a huge endowment? Like explain it, walk me through that. Like I'm Mm -hmm. assuming that their VP of Advancement may not need to be as active as you are. I don't know. First of all, um, what we have here is what's called an institutionally related foundation. Okay. Very common in the university world where there's a separate 501c3 mm-hmm. organization that is like the, uh, the foundation, which is responsible for managing the assets of the organization, the, the um, resources that are philanthropically given to benefit the mission okay. of the university. We, we exist only to benefit the mission of the university, okay. by the way. Um, and at the same time, even though that structure is very common in the university world, the way that those foundations function differ quite dramatically. Okay. It's very interesting to, to learn how yeah. different universities have this set up. Um, I think ours is pretty a pretty common structure okay. where as a smaller uh, university and a smaller shop, we've integrated the foundation into the division of advancement. Uh-huh. But in other larger universities, the foundation is separate oh. from advancement. Okay, okay. Um, we, in, in our advancement division, we include alumni engagement, uh-huh. not all uh, divisions of advancement include alumni relations. What about Some athletics? Of those are separate. What about like I'm athletics assuming are usually separate. That was gonna say okay, yeah. so they're kind of their own. They would be their own thing in mm-hmm. Boulder. Okay, right. All but right. you know, here at MSU Denver, um, I think that MSU Denver has been doing excellent work educationally and in all of its programs for decades. Yeah, yeah. But the university has not focused as much on um, fundraising mm-hmm. as a strategy for resources as it has on uh, earning revenue through tuition yeah. and the state. And so I would argue that the Division of Advancement is not as robust as um, it probably should be given mm-hmm. our age and the size of the university. For example, we have just over $40 million in total assets under management. Mm-hmm. Of that, about $22 million right now are in our endowment, mm-hmm. and the rest are um, resources that we are putting to use more immediately. Okay. Um, we have traditionally raised, on average, between 5 and $7 million per year in um, fundraising. Okay. Um, other organizations or other um, divisions of advancement at similarly sized universities are raising 15 to 20 million dollars okay. a year. 
Okay. So we are and have much larger endowments yeah, and much larger total assets under management. So we're behind from where we should be, just given our size and our age. So we've got some work to do, okay. but what excites me and my team is that there's so much potential. There's so many things going well and right yeah. at MSU Denver. There's so much interest in our success in the community. And there's an urgency yeah. for our mission to succeed that causes people who are not necessarily alumni to be interested in helping us along. And that's what we're trying to capitalize on right now, which is why we've created this comprehensive campaign um, with MSU Denver just unveiling its strategic plan. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, to, uh, to realize that strategic plan, you need resources. Yeah. And um, advancements, you know, the foundation's goal. But I, when I say advancement, it's really the division umbrella that includes the foundation yeah. uh, as an associated entity. Um, uh, we're an important partner in helping to bring the resources to the table that can help us achieve that vision. I want to get into this blue folder for nobody who can see it <laughs> in a moment. But I want to ask you, um, when you got here and, you know, you – it wasn't a critique. It was – perhaps we should have been a little further ahead than we were. Did you see that immediately as you were scoping out MSU Denver? I mean, to get in your brain a little bit, you knew? You oh, knew. sure. Okay. I mean, for an organization of this size, the fact that we were raising – only between five and seven million dollars a year was yeah. sort of shocking. Okay, I knew that there was a lot more potential. Okay, okay. yes, and so, that's yeah. exciting to me. I was going to say, like, how much of you or how much of your brain uh, is going ah, shit, and the other half is going, uh, or how much of it is going? Oh, this is an opportunity to really like we can grow this fast. So one of the things that I've learned about myself along my career trajectory is that I like to build and grow things. Okay. Okay. That's where I'm at my best. Yeah. If you ask me to come into an organization and maintain the status quo, I will be very bored. <laughs> okay. And I will probably not be your best leader. Yeah. I'm just not interested in that. Yeah. I want to take something from almost scratch yeah. and build it into something awesome. fabulous. Yeah. And I love that process of build, building and growing. I love the energy. I love the... Um, the, the drive, I love the focus. Yeah. And so I was looking for an opportunity that would allow me to do that. And I, I really frankly saw MSU yeah. Denver as a build and grow opportunity. Yeah. I've never, I, you know, in those senior leadership meetings, not to bag on anybody else, everybody's fantastic, but you're all, you bring such enthusiasm to the table and you can tell the excitement, right? I mean, I get it. I get exactly what you're saying. They're not hurdles, they're opportunities for improvement. And yeah. And I think what's challenging is that it, it requires time yeah. and patience to fully realize. Yeah. So I try to always have sort of a three to five year horizon in my brain mm -hmm. about how long it's gonna take to br bring this to fruition. Yeah. But being very intentional about the seeds that I'm planting today or the work that we're doing today to prepare us for that next stage. Yeah. So um, I think that's one of the perspectives that I've tried to bring to the senior leadership team is that longer horizon. We can't live hand to mouth all the time. We're never going to bust out of our scarcity mentality if that's the way that we're 
viewing everything yeah. based on these limitations of currently available resources. We have to sort of envision what it is that we want, even if it's not um, attainable, and then build a case and build a path to get there. Okay. And I think with concerted effort and agreement about where it is that we want to go, we can chart a path collectively to get there. I'm only one small part of that path, um, but I think it's it can be an increasingly helpful, valuable path. And it has multiple benefits. It's not just the money mm -hmm. that my um, division brings to the table, it's the relationships. Yeah, yeah. Uh I think what you're saying says a lot about your leadership. And I do want to say that being friends with a lot of the people that you manage, I rarely hear of direct reports who think so highly of their manager, their wow, leader. That's really I mean, cool. seriously, it's, 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 people just revere you. It's, it's oh, awesome. Wow, that's, that's like the best compliment I could ever possibly receive. Because <laughs> I'll be honest with you, Sam. I have spent most of my career wanting to be a great leader, okay. and probably most of my career not being a great leader. Okay. Um, and but why do you say that? Like, I mean, you obviously are. So what is it? Like, you can be, you can be prideful right now. It's okay. That's the whole point of this. Well, I'll I'll tell you in in our community like this the mistakes I've made along the way right. because I think you learn most from your mistakes. When I first started out, I I thought that. Um, Great leadership was about a dynamic personality okay. and a, a compelling strategic vision. Mm, okay. And that if you had okay. that great personality and you had that great vision that people would follow. Yeah. And I was totally wrong about that. People will not just follow. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to build trust. You have to... Um, engage them in the creation of that vision. Mm -hmm. It can't just be your vision. Mm -hmm. um, and then they need to have a really meaningful part in implementing that vision and bringing yeah. it to fruition. And when you can harness the, um, the ability of a whole group of people, uh, then you're going to just zoom yeah. forward and you're going to achieve so much more. But in my career, sadly, um, I found myself far too frequently kind of way out in front of the rest of my organization. Gotcha. Um, um, and maybe the vision was the right vision. Maybe the um, maybe I had, you know, there were benefits to being a dynamic leader, but I I failed because I didn't have the whole organization behind me. Were you performing? No, I just thought that that's what it took to be a great okay. leader. You okay. know, I, I, I just thought that that was what great leadership looked like. I was just trying to be a great leader. Yeah. I mean, it is what, I mean, you, you, you we went to theater school. Those are the narratives that reoccur over and over again, oftentimes. But that kind of leader, I mean, if you think about film from the times that, you know, there, that is the, it's a very masculine kind of leadership in a lot of ways. And I'm not trying to gender this conversation at all, but it's not, it's a very stereotypical form. And I don't think it's right. I, you know, there, I'd like to think there wasn't massive ego that was a yeah. part of that, but I, I'm sure there was, I mean, to some degree, because I wanted to be a great leader, yeah. you know. 
But for me, it was about making a difference. Yeah. Like I, I've always been driven by difference making and mission. Um, That's yeah. But I'll tell you what, those mass, those really big leadership um, learning experiences were humbling. Okay. And incredibly uh, transformational in terms of helping me understand how to do it differently. Okay. And one of the things that I learned I really have to pay attention to is culture. Okay. Okay. And so, for example, in the advancement division, um, when I first came in, uh, they had been through a lot in terms of lack of leadership. Okay. And they were frustrated. Very talented team of people, but they were, you know, I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say demoralized. So one of the very first things that we did was we went through a two-part process. First part of that process was um, sort of like a SWOT analysis. Mm -hmm. Well, we revisited mission and vision. You know, what? who are we? What's what's our purpose? Yeah. Mission. And then we were like, what, do, what is it that we want to be? And that was a group process. Okay. And then we kind of did this SWOT analysis, which is a great just way to get every everybody to just go blah, you yes, know, yes. and get it all out on the table, but use the data around the room, mm-hmm. right? So what were our strengths? What were our weaknesses? What were our opportunities and what were our threats? Okay. And we engaged in a very interactive process to, to um, get those out. Then the second part of the process was to take all of that data mm-hmm. combined with actual data and ask ourselves, okay, what do, what do we want to do with it? And so we created a, an 18-month uh-huh. action plan. 18 months, why? Because I wanted to address all of those sort of near, near-term, urgent, gotta fix these in order for us to remove the bottlenecks to anything else happening. Okay, okay. So it was all based on like urgent things that just really needed to get done. Yes. And, but they needed to be organized over an 18-month period. Um, and and then the other reason for 18 months was I knew we, we had a campaign uh, on the horizon. And I knew that we were in the process of doing a strategic plan for the university. Mm-hmm. And that allowed us to be productive and active and really address some things that needed to be addressed while we were figuring out as an organization what's the big vision right. for MSU Denver, and then we could align the work of advancement okay. to that. Okay. And, and then part of our, our effort in, those, in that early, um, you know, first three, four months that I was here was, you know, I was going around saying, okay, what are, we, what are our priorities in terms of what are we fundraising for? Okay. And I, I didn't, no one could tell me. And so we were engaged in more of a reactive fundraising um, effort where the phone would ring and some donor would want to give something and we mm-hmm. would, you know, facilitate that. But it, w- it ended up defaulting to a lot of scholarships uh-huh. and not really thinking in partnership with the university, where do we proactively want to guide resources to really make a difference? Okay, okay. And so... But all of that um, was productive and very helpful. And then just as we were starting to get to where we were um, getting ready to 
put a campaign together, COVID hit. You know, and and it, on the one hand, I thought, oh man, this is just such a drag. It's gonna, it's slowing us down. Um, and I will say that I'm, I'm never glad that COVID happened, <laughs> but it did buy us some time. Yeah, yeah. And I think as a result, it it led to a better strategic plan for the university, and it led to a much better campaign. Okay for um, the university to support that strategic plan. So I feel really good about where we are today, and I'm um, really excited about getting this thing kicked off. Let's talk campaign. All right. right. Let, let's, let's, uh, I want to be mindful of your time. Um, first off, why, does a, why, do we, why is a campaign needed? Yeah. yeah. So the reason that universities and other organizations do campaigns is yeah. because it gives you that big vision that everyone kind of um, uh, gets around, can sink their teeth into, okay. and it gives you that time-limited focus. Okay. Um, so it's very important and helpful for concerted communication with donors and, and new donors um, to help them understand what it is that you're trying to okay. achieve and why, what's the case for support. But for me and for MSU Denver, my other reason for doing this is it's going to help us build that infrastructure mm -hmm. that will help MSU Denver raise much higher levels of funding year after year okay. after the campaign. Makes sense. So we're building our donor base. We're deepening our relationships with donors. We're um, injecting resources into the highest priorities of the university. Uh -huh. And at the end of this campaign, MSU Denver's um, level of donor engagement uh, will and our, you know, it feeds into brand and reputation mm -hmm. and visibility and all of those other goals that we have as a university, mm -hmm. which help enrollment. Um, and we should be in a, in a whole different, you know, level of, um, uh, attractiveness yeah. to the community as a place to invest okay. regularly. Okay. Okay. And is that through, you know, this first chunk of donors who over the course of the campaign are building a strong relationship with the university and then they kind of spread out uh, throughout the campaign and after and build other relationships with people who want to give? Is that what you mean? I mean, is that part of it? So first of all, let me, let me, let me explain perhaps what's in the campaign and then yes. I can explain how we're going about doing it. Okay. So aligned with the university's strategic plan, we have created four pillars mm -hmm. of investment opportunities and each pillar has various initiatives within them that we can talk to donors about investing in with mm -hmm. dollar goals and impact mm -hmm. um, goals associated. So student success mm -hmm. is one area, and that means scholarship dollars, it means wraparound supports or student support mm -hmm. services. Um, we all know that at MSU Denver, the financial assistance is really great mm -hmm. and helpful, but what is also needed for students to get to the finish line are all of the, you yeah. know, it's the peer mentors, it's the mentoring or um, tutoring, um, case management, yeah. access to other resources, et cetera, that often keeps students from stopping out and encourages them to complete. Mm 
Um, the second area is classroom to career. Mm -hmm. And so that's the C2 hub, it's the mentoring, earn and learn, and the capital mm -hmm. project associated with the C2 hub. Mm -hmm. The third area is inclusive excellence. Mm -hmm. And so that's um, uh, adding to the resources for our faculty fellows program so that um, we can have more faculty fellows mentoring new faculty, mm -hmm. particularly faculty of color. We can have, um, we're gonna add resources to the um, teaching assistantship program okay. Okay. to expand the number of students who are able to serve as TAs, which helps the students and their educational trajectory yeah. maybe get into grad school, maybe even pursue a career in academia, but it also helps the other students yeah. in the class because now they have someone that they can go to for academic support yeah. and it helps the professor. Right. So expand the TA-ship. And then the third area there is um, a teaching pedagogy effort that's going to help more faculty learn how to create inclusive classroom okay. environments okay. so that all the students in the classrooms are able to thrive and succeed mm -hmm. academically. So it's teaching our faculty how to be even better yeah. teachers. And then the final area is addressing Colorado's talent pipeline. Okay. So it's the Health Institute um, where we're going to be able to increase the number of um, people in health careers by 2,000 students per year okay. with that additional building and program support. It's the Center for Entrepreneurship. It's the School of Hospitality. Mm -hmm. These different programs that have investment needs that once realized will create better learning environments for our students, enhancements to the programs so that um, our students, we can have more students in those programs feeding into the local economy. Okay. It's a $75 million goal mm -hmm. over five years. Um, and then- It's a lot bigger than the five to seven million that MSU did was bringing in when you came here. Yes. Yes, and we're going to, um, the way that we have decided to structure our campaign total includes every dollar raised. Nice. So we're aiming for these big initiatives, but we're um, certainly valuing all the little all gifts the, yeah. that come in along the way, including gifts that came in for MSU Denver Day of Giving. Yeah. What we've done is we've sort of allocated all gifts um, to these different four pillars okay. so that we can ultimately nice. track you know, did the, was this gift really around student success uh -huh. and support? Was it around classroom to career? Was it around addressing Colorado's talent pipeline? Or was it around yeah. inclusive excellence? Yeah. And um, so we'll be able to track all of that and report back to the campus community about right. progress along the way. So in terms of implementation, the way that campaigns are typically done, you want to create momentum. Mm -hmm. And you want to go to your closest donors first, mm -hmm. right? And so mm -hmm. that's our Board of Trustees, our foundation board, and our um, we have a steering committee of, of community leaders who are longtime supporters of MSU Denver um, who are helping us open doors to other donors in the community, um, and, and our all of our other existing donors. So we're approaching all of them first. Okay. Our goal at this, nu we call it the nucleus stage of the campaign, um, so those are um, mostly seven-figure gifts and okay. six, some six-figure gifts. Um, and we're talking to people who are doing far less than that because, you know, we're talking to certain groups of people. 
Um, and I, if I'm remembering correctly, that will go to the end of this calendar year, okay. roughly speaking. And then we'll move into um, focusing on those donors in the six-figure level. That's the lead, um, hmm. lead gift uh, time period. And then we'll move on to the major gifts, which, uh -huh. were, which are up to six figures, five and, five and, and six figures. And then um, we move into what's called the public phase, okay. which is where you're finishing out a campaign. Mm -hmm. That's usually the final stages of that campaign, and that's where we're focusing on gifts yes. less than five figures. What happens if you reach the goal faster than you had presumed? Well, uh, wouldn't that be a wonderful well, no, no, seriously, problem? Like, do you move? But I mean, I, but this is strategic. I guess is my point. You're very strategic about this, and I think that it's important yeah. because. It is laying a foundation that will go beyond the campaign. But in all seriousness, like how do you, how does one adjust yeah. if things aren't moving the way you want, or they're moving faster than you want? Well, so or planned. With the wonderful problem of getting to our goal faster <laughs> yeah. than, than we expected, we would potentially decide to increase the goal. So let's say that we were approaching seventy-five million um, before we reached the public phase okay. of the campaign. And we might decide that we want to um, increase the goal to 100 million okay, okay. and say um, we'd like it to be 100 million and come one, come all, help us, help yeah. us get there. Yeah. Um, and that happens frequently okay. in these campaigns. Um, the other thing to um, understand is that we're, for people over 70, um, planned gifts count. Okay. So, um, ah. so w there are going to be a lot of gifts that are counted in this total that are not realized in the next five years okay. that will be realized in the future. Yeah. But that's okay because that creates a pipeline of giving for MSU Denver that will benefit it sure. into the future yeah. for long-term sustainability and additional growth mm -hmm. to these various initiatives. And so um, it, it is another part of the um, reason that you do a campaign, the reason that you are, are um, engaged in this is for long-term sustainable fundraising mm -hmm. for the mm -hmm. university. I kind of, I do, I want to end on this. It's not a difficult question, but I am intrigued. Um, let's say that you get a gift of 10 million and said donor wants this 10 million to go towards something that maybe a VP or a dean or the president didn't hadn't thought of. What do you do? Like, yeah. what's your role in that negotiation? How do, what happens? Well, I mean, um, that certainly occurs. Yeah. And I think at that point, then the university, uh, as well as the dean, needs to make a decision about whether or not um, they want to accept the gift. Uh -huh. And sometimes gifts are declined really? because there are issues with long-term um, sustainability of that gift. Okay. Um, alternatively, we would first work with the donor to get them to potentially consider a different purpose okay. for their gift. Okay. Um, and if that fails, then you know, sometimes you have to say no. Yeah. Um, it's frankly, it, it always feels painful when you have to decline a gift. Yeah. But on the other hand, um, I think that in the long run, it's probably better for the donor and the organization if you don't enter into an agreement that 
that isn't going to work. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And so there is, you know, that's why I started off this conversation talking about the importance of authenticity and Mm -hmm. honesty. Um, The most important thing about, I think, successful fundraising is to do it in a in a way that's really truthful. Yeah. And the more honest that you are about the needs of the university, how the gift will be put to use, um, and how that potentially fulfills mm-hmm. the donor's wishes or doesn't, mm-hmm. um, the better off you're going to be in terms of a real relationship with that donor. That makes total sense. Um, because yeah. donors want to be able to trust the university yeah. And they also want to be able to trust the fundraiser. Yeah. So we never want to stretch the truth. We never want to twist and contort too much such that we're trying to do something that the university otherwise mm-hmm. would never want to do just for the sake of that gift. That gift, yeah. Um, and um, ultimately, sort of fake relationships end up falling apart anyway. Okay. So typically it's not worth it. So, you know, and, yeah. and any fundraiser will tell you, 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 we all have a few of those kinds of gifts in our background. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're not fun. They're not. They're no. not fun. And so, you know. Because <laughs> you're in this to do good, right? And then there's something about it that's. If it's <laughs> not a good fit, it's just yeah. not a good fit. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, that donor can go find a different partner yeah. that's a better fit. I've certainly declined gifts before in my career. What are some last comments, thoughts that you would like to share with our on-campus community, but also uh, the folks out there that are interested in what we're doing? Well, I think the the main thing is anyone on this campus can be a part of this um, campaign. Uh, And they can do it in a couple different ways. Number one, they can be an ambassador out in their circles of friends, Mm -hmm. listening for people who are interested in investing at MSU Denver. And when you find that person that wants to um, make a gift, contact us. Let us know. Um, And and whether it's a one-time gift that we'll just, you know, uh, add to an existing fund, we'll we'll help them find where they want their gift Mm -hmm. to go, because sometimes that can be hard to find on our our website. Or if they want to do something uh, more significant, we will sit down with them and we will really okay. talk through, you know, what is it that you want to do. But we need everybody's ear to the ground, you know, listening for those kinds of opportunities. Yeah. And frankly, um, staff and faculty are some of the very best uh, connections to those kinds of opportunities. Yeah. And and we want them to have our phone number on speed dial. Um, the second way that they can be involved is just speaking positively about MSU Denver mm-hmm. in the community. We want people to know what a great place this is. Yeah. Invite folks to the different events that we have on campus um, so that they can start to get a taste of what's here. Part of our problem is that so many people out there have heard of MSU Denver, yeah. know that it's here, have no idea what we no do idea. or what makes us distinct or unusual. And so we need to sing the this the you know to the hill to the hills you know this is what's happening at msu denver come one come all um and we can all do that and then the third is to um uh 
really get engaged. You could, students can become student um, ambassadors. Mm -hmm. We always want students to help us talk to donors about their experiences so they can become student ambassadors. I really want to um, augment that program. Okay. They can um, they can pitch their um, their project through MSU Denver Day of Giving okay. and raise money for their project. Um, and, and that includes students, staff, and faculty okay. can create projects that they want to fundraise for. Um, uh, or they can help us, um, you know, in a variety of ways with, with a donor meeting, okay. you know. So there's lots of different ways that people can become involved. And certainly, like, chairs and deans and faculty, they're sometimes really critical partners as we're talking with a donor about making an investment in a particular yeah. part of campus. Um, and their partnership with us in those conversations is really critical. So if people are interested in learning more about how to become a great fundraiser um, or a fundraiser partner, I should say, because yeah. we usually don't ask you to make the ask, we ask you to just tell your story. Yeah. Um, then let us know, and okay. we'll we have trainings coming up. Okay. Um, if people are interested in getting trained on how to be a, a, a better fundraiser partner, we have um, those happening this spring. Okay, and fingers crossed. Now we'll talking to the deans tomorrow about the fellowship. But I I, I want to close. Christine Marquez has in by saying thank you for not just this interview, but for for having the confidence and the realization of what this place can be and being willing to take those risks and, and trust your gut when it comes to it. Um, change is difficult for people. It just is. It's a human nature. But uh, uh, you're a fantastic leader in kind of in showing that guiding light as to what, what we can do. And you've already done amazing things. So this campaign is going to rock. And uh, thank you for joining the conversation. Yeah, I should share with the campus community that right now we're at about 21% of Whoa. that $75 million goal Already? Um, yep. And we're only oh, about, mm, I, technically we started July 1 of 2021. Okay. So we're, what is that, like 10 months 10 in? 10 months in? Eight, nine months in. But really we kicked it off around uh, November. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Um, we're, and those are verbal commitments. We, are, we haven't closed on all of those gifts, but that includes dollars in the door and, okay. and verbally committed gifts. So my point of sharing that is to say that MSU Denver deserves this kind of investment. Yeah. We are worthy. We are a great um, place to invest. And um, there's no reason why we can't be attracting the resources that we need to do great mm -hmm. stuff here mm -hmm. at MSU Denver. So that's the, it's sort of like, you know, let's all wear our MSU Denver uh, Roadrunner gear with total pride yeah. as we walk around in our community, and let's get more people involved. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You, you pointed out, I mean, I don't mean to, to be the last comment, but a lot of times, or in this case, people just needed to know that we were here and what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's easy to connect what they want to do with what we do and get to a place where both people win. So, CMH, thank you so much. You bet. And that was a blast. Uh, look at that, almost an hour. I think that means we had a great conversation. Awesome.